It's another beautiful day at Sixth and Daniel. And today I have another exceptional member of the extended UIUC psychology family, Denise Berger in the virtual atrium. She's been the leader in human resources for some of the largest companies here in central Illinois. And previously she got her bachelor's right here in this building. And then also went on to get her master's degree as well. Welcome back to Sixth and Daniel, Denise Berger. How are you doing? I'm great, Ryan. Thanks for asking me to, to participate in this. I'm excited to, to be involved with the Department of Psych once again. Yeah, I mean, this, this is a unique episode because this, you're our first more local guest. I mean, you have you have a, a, a child that, that, that went to University of Illinois. You live close to the University of Illinois. You, you've, you're you know, fans of the athletics. You were on our alumni advisory board for a stint. I mean, you are, you are really an extended member of the family, so it's really exciting. Um, and also, first, we've actually worked together. <laughs> I've never had anybody on there. At one point in time, we have crossed paths as well, so I can vouch for her skills here. So that's another reason why we're having Denise on today. Currently, um, you are the, let me get this title right, the Vice President of Human Resources for Latania Sports here in Central Illinois. But previous to that, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself. You know what we always do here on Six and Daniel? We do the Fast Five. So let's let, let our audience get to know you a little bit better. These are just five icebreaker type questions so we can, you know, kind of lighten up the room a little bit. And we'll start with question one. It's an either or. Would you rather be the smartest person in the world or the richest person in the world? Oh, that's easy. I'd much rather be the smartest person. If I'm, <laughs> if I'm that smart, I'll probably end up being pretty rich. Yes. But uh, certainly I think could could do more to make life better for a lot of people if I was the smartest person in the world. So I concur. Wonderful answer. What is your work beverage of choice? You know, we're talking to someone in, in HR here. You're around the office a lot. The so-called water cooler, coffee machines, all this fun stuff. What is the beverage that gets you through the day? Well, Ryan, I'm pretty boring in this category. Uh, it's water, actually, for oh. some, some practical reasons. One, I don't like coffee, never have. Mm -hmm. um, and two, if I have been known to spill my beverage, whether it be <laughs> on my desk, on myself, and water's pretty forgiving. So, uh, And it gives me an excuse to go to the water cooler several times a day and, and right. people. So, yeah. I, I, that's mine as well. I, coffee never took with me and it's, it's too much of a chore. I, you know, I, I do enjoy a diet soda every now and then I do like a little hit of caffeine, but then it's on me. Like I got to lug in 12 packs and keep them cold. It's too much. Yeah. I'm, I'm on you and team water. Okay. Maybe you are a fan. I know a lot of people are so, or maybe you've just been forced to on a given occasion, but if you were to participate in karaoke, what would be oh your go-to go song? Well, we clearly didn't work together long enough for you to know that <laughs> I, I can't sing at all. Um, as a matter of fact, when my middle daughter was a baby and I was singing a lullaby holding her in my arms, she put her little hand up and said, no sing, mama, no sing. So when you, when you get dissed by your own child, that's pretty bad. But so 
with that, I, I mean, seriously, I've had to do karaoke once. I was new to a company. It was a Christmas party for senior management. Um, I've been there, I don't know, three months and go to this event and find out they're having karaoke. And I, I just panicked because I did not want to embarrass myself in front of everyone. So my song of choice is tequila. Nice. Yeah. yeah I can get through that. So Yeah. There's not much lyrics. It's, it's got a good beat. So everybody else is kind of, you know, into the, into the spirit, but then, yeah, you, you can just hit that, hit that main note tequila. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. Um, describe your perfect meal. Well, I like, you know, people say I'm a picky eater, but there are just certain ingredients I don't like, but I like a lot of different kinds of foods. So <laughs> to narrow that down is tough, but I'll tell you something we did last year um, at my request. I think it was Mother's Day or my birthday. I said, I want food from a, a variety of restaurants to try different types of ethnic food. So we had Thai food, which I mm -hmm. love anyway, um, Indian food, which I love. We had some Middle Eastern food. So we just Italian. So we just went around to a whole bunch of different restaurants, got our family together, put a big spread out and everyone got a little bit of something from different places. And that was really fun. So yeah, it's like a tour. I love that. It was, yeah. Around the world in one meal. <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna coin that we're having around the world night at the house today guys get ready okay and last one and i'm not saying that i mean literally the podcast is called six and daniel but i'm not putting you on the spot here but since you are so familiar still with our campus you know both as a student parent and and, and you know local resident what is your favorite building on the uiuc campus it can be a personal, it doesn't have to be architecture. It could be, you know, but I mean, what, what is your favorite building? Well, that's what I was going to ask you. You mean like from memories or to look at or what have you? Um, you know, certainly I think my, my interest, my career path, uh, those were formed at the psychology building. Mm -hmm. um, I won't say it's the prettiest to look at, but uh, definitely some great memories. A lot of learning and growth happened in that building. Uh, if I could kind of tack on two others for other reasons, uh, Do it. Beckman, I did, oh, yeah. did some research in Beckman as an undergrad. It was pretty new back then. That was really impressive, uh, mm -hmm. humbling, some of the brilliance that comes out of there. And then probably favorite to look at and just sort of overall memories would be Fullinger Auditorium. It was always great to step sure. on the quad and, and see that. Uh, Love to see it lit up at night. Had some great courses in there. Uh, some great memories so you know take your pick out of those three it's you know it's like it's like a mom you can't pick a favorite kid so. exactly exactly but you know we'd love to give shine we got a beautiful campus have you seen uh, across the street from the psych building lately all the changes that have happened with yeah, the hub so, and, man absolutely so um my daughter lives in uh, newman hall <laughs> oh so. okay I am right. I'm through there every now and then. <laughs> just there for mom's weekend. Actually, oh, so. yeah. Congratulations, yeah. man. It's it was amazing. You know, when we had the whole shutdown and stuff like we left and it was a hole in the ground and then people started coming back and boom, it was there. It was it was quite a, it was quite a thing. I have to watch it when I'm driving on campus because roads have changed, you know, considerably. Yes 
roads that used to not be one way are now and (laughs) it's new stop signs but Uh uh, of course all right now let's get to uh your origin story so when you started here before you know becoming the vice president of human resources for latania sports you you arrived here on campus and you knew i'm gonna go into human resources one day that's my that's my career path i knew it the, the second you got in the dorms right absolutely not i didn't even know <laughs> human resources was um i'm from a small town in southern illinois not very many kids from my high school at least then uh went straight to a four-year university um a lot didn't even go to college actually um mm-hmm. it was a pretty agricultural community oil and gas so i knew i did want to go to college i knew i wanted to go to the u of i it's actually the only school i applied to uh but i in high school i really didn't have any idea i my my view of employment was pretty narrow. It was kind of like doctor, lawyer, engineer, teacher, sure. accountant. I mean, pretty big. Right. And, you know, again, small town, didn't really have a lot of exposure to different types of jobs. And so I initially thought I wanted to be an engineer, which I think is just because I was good at math. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's kind of how I got steered that way. Um, but I wasn't sure enough that I applied to engineering. So I applied to general studies in LAS, uh, took some courses just as my gen, gen eds. I think that's the story. That's the whole purpose of that, right? Is to get exposure. Thought I was going to be poli sci, um, wanted to go to law school and took some psychology classes, really liked them, found that I could take several of those and satisfy general, you know, general education requirements in a variety of areas, did a study abroad, which I was heart set on from the time I stepped on campus. I always <laughs> wanted to, to travel and to experience other cultures. So I was fortunate that the study abroad that I did actually focused on human resource management. It, it was in Germany. Oh. Um, so I was liking the courses. I took personnel psych, industrial organizational, took some engineering psychology, really liked that. Uh, And when I came back from my study abroad, I I met with my psychology advisor and said, I want to know exactly what I need to do to graduate, you know, on time, thinking in four years. Well, long story short, he told me that night that I actually was on track to graduate in December. So um, I found out in November that I was graduating a month later because my study abroad courses had transferred in. But I had met all the requirements for psychology at that point. I had not yet met them all for poli sci. So I never did get, you know, my, I never completed a major in poli sci. I ended up being the psychology major. So it wasn't really my intention. I kind of fell right. into it, but I loved it. Um so yeah, that that's my story. It was it was very accidental, and I'm glad. <laughs> and then, so when did you make the decision to uh, get your master's in human resource management? Was that just for a job search to further your education, or you know that's that's a typical uh, question around here? Is is a lot of students are do I need more school, or you know what, can I get into this career without it, or you know what what how did you decide? Well, again, kind of accidental. Um, uh, Fritz Draskow, Professor Draskow, I had as an undergrad in the Department of Psychology. Uh, He was joint appointed with what is now the School of Labor and Employment Relations. He's now the dean. Uh, I believe he's about ready to retire. But nonetheless, at the time, he was teaching some of the courses I was taking in psychology. 
I did an honors per, uh, project with him. And as we got to know each other, I told him I wanted to go to law school in employment law. And he said, I don't really think that's what you want to do. You seem more like you would enjoy human resource management, interacting with people as opposed to reviewing and writing documents and doing research and kind of being you know, behind the scenes as an attorney. And I, I said, what's that? I had no idea. Like I mentioned, I was from a small town, really didn't have that kind of exposure. Um, and so he, he told me about the master's program. It's top in the nation, a few blocks away. And so I went to an open house and really liked what I heard. And so actually when I found out that I was graduating a semester earlier than planned, I had to kind of rush through the process. I was able to get admitted and started in January. So it's a three semester graduate program. So in five years I had both my undergrad and, and graduate degrees. So <laughs> that that's came on one. fast and it, furious. Yeah, it, it was. It was really crazy. I'm, I'm cutting out a lot of the crazy, but <laughs> in the end, it worked out. Um, so, but to answer the question, do I think a, a, an advanced degree or graduate degree is required to be in HR? Not at all. Do I think it helps? Yes, of course. I mean, I don't mm -hmm. think, no matter how you get it, education is helpful. So, whether you do it through a, a formal master's program, on the job education, you know, seminars, conferences, whatever, there's a lot to know in human resources. And I think probably more than any other field, the information changes. Um, you know, the principles of accounting kind of hold true, you know, uh, math holds true if, if you're right. in a, you know, but the law surrounding employment um, that affect benefits and taxation of pay and just, it's, it's a very dynamic field. So do I think it helps? Absolutely. Do I think it's necessary? I know that it's not necessary because some of the best HR professionals that I've hired and had the pleasure of working with on my teams are people that didn't have advanced degrees in HR. Now, with that said, I think probably the easiest there, I think there are two ways that are the easiest to crack into HR if you don't have an advanced degree. The first one is recruiting. I think psychology students are exceptional at, at recruiting because relating to people, reading people that, you know, just that uh, able to establish a relationship, that is so important in the recruiting process. And that is a great way to get a toe in the door in an HR department. And then you can learn and grow from there. The second area that I would say is one of the easier ones to, to break into is training and development, um, you know, working with developing curriculum, training, the, you know, knowing how to work with an adult learner as most workplaces are, that's another path. Less, less opportunity there. There aren't as many positions in training and development. Uh -huh. Recruiting, especially in a market like we have right now, is really hot. And I've known a lot of people who started out in recruiting and some stayed with it and some grew into other areas of HR. But those would be the two I suggest. And then if neither of those are the opportunity that present, but you're willing to be an HR assistant, it's it's really the you know the foundation of learning how HR operates, and it might be a lot of paperwork and administrative. And I say paperwork; a lot of it's electronic, of course. Sure. But right. System setup, um, you know, getting new people hired and onboarded, uh, you know, getting them off uh, of the payroll and such when they leave, and and sort of all of that. It's not necessarily glory work, but it's it's fantastic to learn what you like in HR if you even do like HR. And again, there are a lot of opportunities to learn and grow and uh, companies support that particularly now. 
and if you like people i mean onboarding is really fun it's everybody's first who doesn't like their first day of work it's like the you know first day of school it's like they're all excited they're ready to get going like and you're right there to help like hold their hand through the whole process i always thought that was really cool well that and then you know the hr department's usually who does the um you know engagement and and special events and so part of my job i'm kind of a party planner and yeah together a committee of course but I mean, we just had a washers tournament and a, provided a lunch on Monday of this week. Last night, I was hiding Easter eggs with tickets for prizes all around <laughs> the workplace. Um, tomorrow, we're wearing uh, sports apparel and giving out hot dogs for Major League Baseball opening day. So, oh, yeah. you know, we've just got a whole calendar of events. And, and you know, I have a committee of people that help me, but HR usually carries the load on that. So if you like that kind of thing, and then there's a charitable aspect as well. Sure. There's a lot that we do to give back to the community and support different charitable organizations. And so usually that funnels your HR as well. Yeah, exactly. See, it's not all just pushing paper. There's a lot of interaction involved. Absolutely. Well, while if you're it's just pushing oh. paper, you're not doing it right. <laughs> well, while you're handing out advice, you know, we are coming up on convocation and uh, I, I heard, you know, a little birdie told me you used to help some of our students back when you were on the advisory board, um, you know, prepping, prepping for interviews, prepping for the workforce. So let's, let's kind of talk about that. Uh, I know there's a lot of students here that, you know, we've, we've done like, what do you, what can you do with a psych degree? And, and me working in alumni relations, I've, I've, connected with people from the restaurant industry you know i mean like there's a lot of versatile things you can do with your sector it can be hr it can but it can be a lot of other things as well so these folks are going to be going out there and and, and conducting maybe their first professional business interviews let's kind of touch on on how to be prepared and you know my first question i i actually was going on interviews just a couple years ago myself and i've, I've been in the workforce for over 15 years and I feel like some things have changed and maybe they haven't, but what, let's start with presentation. Like what, what's the wardrobe like, you know, what, what do you wear? Is it, are things more casual now? Do you still put on a suit and tie and a, and a formal outfit? Like help us here. Let's start there. Sure. Sure. Well, I don't think there's a one size fits all answer on this because it's mm -hmm. going to depend on the organization um, in the industry. Uh, some are you know, more formal than others. I will say this. I have never known someone to not get hired because they were overdressed. I have known people to not get hired because they were underdressed. So with that advice, I would overdress if there's any doubt of what's appropriate mm -hmm. for the, the situation. Um, I, I myself have interviewed in the last couple of years and I kind of had the same question. I asked the recruiter or the person who okay. was coordinating uh, the interview, you know, what the expectations were. So for example, in my current position, uh, I got a tour of our factory, which meant I had to have suitable uh, footwear. You know, I couldn't oh, yeah. have open-toed shoes, for example. I was going to be doing a lot of walking. Uh, I did wear a business suit. I wore heels, and I brought shoes, you know, to change for that. But that was important to know before I came. So I was glad that I'd asked that question. Uh, other times I've interviewed, and I knew that the organization was very, very casual. And so I didn't wear a suit, but I wore a business top and pants with, you know, dress shoes. Still, I was overdressed compared to the people interviewing me, 
but I didn't have the job. Once you have the job, you can dress like everybody else. <laughs> exactly, you know? exactly. So I would always say, you know, go on the conservative side. Now, I also remember back when I was interviewing, we, at least I, but I think my peers as well, thought it had to be like navy suit, white or light blue blouse, you know, or for guys, you know, very conservative. I mm-hmm. do think there's more room to show your personality with some accent pieces. You don't necessarily have to stick with navy or, or gray or black. Um, but again, I would I would always dress up. Once you have the job, then you can dress like yeah. everybody else. So. Pocket squares, pocket squares. <laughs> always be flashy with the pocket squares. Um, and I think you brought up a good point about, you know, asking and and, and, and doing a little bit of research when you're going on to infer what what kind of research did you do about the company you're going to to interview with like you know they everybody has a website or social media or anything like that like what's a good way to prep before going into your interview do you feel well i mean i certainly would just use a search engine and and read the company's website know it well um get some questions from that uh, i would suggest if you're not on LinkedIn and you don't have a LinkedIn profile, create one. I think students underestimate the value of LinkedIn tremendously. Um, and I would always look at who I might know at the company from LinkedIn. And so it could be people that I knew people that had worked with someone who was there. And that would give me some you know, intel on, on the culture or what was going on with the business, why the position was open, et cetera. So using sort of those connections that LinkedIn provides to you, I mean, that's kind of its purpose, I think is very helpful. Um, and check out Glassdoor as well. Now, I will mm-hmm. say, I Glassdoor, <laughs> as an HR professional, Glassdoor is kind of a mixed bag because it's just like a restaurant. You know, you have a bad <laughs> meal, you're probably going to complain. You have a great right. meal, you may or may not say anything. Right. So a lot of times what's on Glassdoor is only one side of the story. Um, you know, you just don't know the background behind. But when you're looking at general trends, I mean, if things continue to be repeated, doesn't mean don't work there, but those might be good questions to ask. You know, it's like, hey, I noticed on Glassdoor X, you know, can you tell me, mm-hmm. you know, what's what's the company's approach to that or is that a concern or you know i think it it can provide show that you've actually done some research which just doing something is very important i know many interviewers want to see that you put a little effort in before you showed up to the interview okay love it now let's talk uh resumes you know again i'm probably showing my age a little bit here but there used to be an unwritten rule that it should be on one page. That was always the thing. Just one page at resume and, you know, your cover letter and your resume are all these things still, you know, I'm doing air quotes here. This is a visual medium. Are these still rules? Like to, my last job, you know, that I went, the one I'm actually currently sitting in, you know, I, I, I did a full CV, you know, I did multiple pages and had multiple things. And is there any rules here? What, what applies? And, and what about cover letters? What should you do there? So I think you're right on with a CV. It's going to be more lengthy and complete. And I mean, people mm-hmm. throw kind of everything on there. You're right. That, that tends to be more, um, you know, academia. Uh, in the business setting, the resume still kind of rules. And, you know, this is the advice I give to people. Just make it easy to read. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if you're going to go to eight or nine point just because you want it on one page because you heard that's the rule, but it's hard for me to read you know, 
that's frustrating. And I give about the same amount of attention to a resume, regardless of its length. So if you take two pages, it doesn't mean you get double my time (laughs) either. So, you know, just kind of what flows. But my general rule of thumb is if you've been out of school five years or less, you don't need a two-page resume. You know, one should be suffice. Um, I mean, there are always exceptions. So I'm not going to say there's never a case where a two-pager wouldn't be example. But I've been I've been working for 20 plus years and I have right. two pages, you know, right. so, right. but things drop off. You know, every time I update a resume, something has to come off for something else to go on. And mm-hmm. and I've helped a lot of students with their resume development. My, my key advice, whether it be for the interview, resume, cover letter, try to avoid thinking something is just you know, use the word just, you have minimized it. I have okay. worked with students who say, I was just a nanny. I was just a lifeguard. I just had a lawn mowing service. And so they don't feel it, it deserves time and attention in the, in the job search process. Well, depending on what else you have. Now, if you, you know, are part of a research project and you've presented at conferences and are, and, you know, admitted as part of the patent application, yeah, you might not mention those things. That's not, <laughs> the, that's not what most undergraduates have, right? right? So what you need to do is not minimize the experiences you have. Because when I hear things like nanny, lifeguard, you know, camp counselor, you've been responsible for the health and well-being of other people people, generally children, Um, you know, responsibility, you have to show up. And I'm sorry, but in today's world, like attendance is a huge problem in a lot of workplaces. It really is. And so if you've shown commitment, um, if you show that you have gotten increasing responsibility, maybe you were a key holder. I've talked to people who worked at a retail store and, and ended up, they ended up being a key holder. Well, that says something, you know, that you were trust. Yes, so, so look into those experiences and that's what you need to include on the resume. Um, anything you can do to kind of paint the picture, give a, if it's not a company people are familiar with, give a, you know, very brief, you know, two or three word description of what the company is or what their products are, um, maybe their size, that type of thing, just mm-hmm. to, to, to kind of give people a grounding of, of what your responsibilities were. Uh, so I think that's important. I always kind of drop off, like go one back. So when someone's in the first couple years of college and they're doing a resume, maybe for an internship, yeah, you still can leave some high school stuff on there um, because that's pretty much what you have, especially these last couple of years with the pandemic, sure. a lot of opportunities weren't there, you know. Um, but once someone's ready to apply, like as a recent grad, maybe a year or two out, that high school stuff needs to be off at that point, because by then you should have replaced it with some other things. Mm-hmm. So. What now, about cover letters? I'm sorry, Ryan, I didn't answer oh, that's your right. cover letters. <laughs> you know, cover letters, this is what my advice is on cover letters too, is resumes, generally people have family, friends, proofread it, you know, they proofread it, they go over it very carefully, they make sure their resume is, you know, clean and, and crisp. Cover letters are usually where a hiring manager can see what your writing skills are really like. So don't don't just skimp on the cover letter. Don't write me a book either. Um, (laughs) The cover letter doesn't need to recap what's on your resume. That's what the resume is for. The cover letter needs to relate you to the opportunity. And one of the things I see students do, um, well, and adults, but I mean, people who've been out of school for several years, is they talk about what they want. And 
frankly, at that point in the interview process, hiring managers are looking for what you can do for them. Now, fit is important long term. And the interview is where they're going to find out if what they have to offer is a good fit for the candidate. But the cover letter really needs to be zeroing in on why you are suitable for their posting. So read that posting and pick out some elements from your background into that cover letter on why you're a, a suitable candidate for them. Nice. I, I could have used that a while back. I, I, <laughs> that's wonderful information there. All right. Now, what about questions that are not related to the job? You know, people always hear about those, you know, I guess this one technically is related to the job, but where do you see yourself in five years? You know, if, um, what are your biggest weaknesses? Do those exist or are those something you need to prep for and have a, a pat answer for, or is that, you know, just a trope, you know, is that just something people see in the movies? You're going to run across them. I think, um, particularly for less experienced interviewers, uh, I don't ask those questions anymore <laughs> because people are kind of prepped for them, as you said. I'd much rather take an interview, let it go where it naturally flows and probe and ask questions. But yes, I think you should be prepared for things like that. Um, and, and here's my advice too on the interviewing is just be yourself because two, I mean, two, two recruiters from the same organization could have very different styles. They could interpret your answers very differently. I mean, just like people date and, you know, they can be nice people, but they just don't have chemistry. You're not mm -hmm. going to have chemistry with everybody or every organization. And that's okay. But if you start not being yourself, you know, do you want to get a job based on not being yourself? I mean, then you're not really set up to be comfortable and happy. Um, so I wouldn't try to like guess your way into what they're looking for. You know, I know some people like, try to come up with these answers of, oh, I have a weakness, but it's really a strength. I'm just making it. Right. I mean, I look for someone who's genuine and who has self-awareness because none of us are perfect. And I am certainly not perfect and knowing what my weaknesses are, but I would also then say what you are doing to, to grow or, you know, to improve or to engineer around them. You know, if you know you have a certain weakness, but this is you know, how I've overcome that weakness. Um, those those would be things that I look for in an interview. But again, I couldn't sit here and say what every hiring manager right. or recruiter, no. you know, they, they may have a different opinion. I will tell you, I've worked with a lot of different hiring managers over the years at different organizations. And, you know, anyone who who seems like too much fluff or too rehearsed, that's far worse than someone even just saying, uh, that's a great question. Can I have a minute to think about it? That is totally okay. Don't be scared of silence in an interview. Um, if they ask you something that stumps you, it's you know perfectly fine to be like, oh, I, I've never thought about that before. May I have a moment? You know, mm -hmm. that's okay. Uh, so I'd much rather that than someone just word vomit out. <laughs> Rush it. Now, this is always a big one when it comes to money. You know, I feel like, applying even before the interview you know they give you what's your desired salary you know that that question or when you get in what kind of salary range are you looking for how do you calculate that or what do you put in that because i you know you don't want to price yourself out of things but you want to have self-worth i mean how how do you navigate that going into the job search 
You know, and that's tricky. Um, it's actually gotten easier in over half the states now, employers can't ask what you made in your last position. So while that may not matter to someone who's looking for their first professional role, the person who's looking for their second or third or fourth, uh, that has changed uh, because it's, it's now illegal, like I said, in over half the states, including Illinois. And the idea was that is women were being disproportionately impacted because you know, studies show women make less than men. And so if a new opportunity is basing salary on their past earnings, then it just perpetuated. Sure. Um, so, so that's why that changed. Um, but, you know, it's as an employer, I do need to know. I mean, if somebody applies for a job that's 20 grand above what our range is, I'm not going to waste my time or theirs um, because even if they took it, they're not, they're going to be looking from the day they start, you know, uh, if something's off quite a bit. Uh, on the other hand, there have been times when I've had people apply for roles and express a, a desired salary that was outside of our range, maybe not dramatically, but I'll go, you know, back to them and say, you know, hey, I've noticed that your desired salary is outside our range. Um, this is our range, you know, would you like to continue the conversation? Would you consider it and put the ball back in their court? But in terms of bringing it up, advice I got from my very first uh, job out of grad school, my, my boss said, the first person who talks about money loses. And that has always stuck with me. And he didn't just mean it in the interview context. He meant it in any kind of negotiation, whether it be buying a car or a business deal or what have you. Um, so, I have not ever been one to bring up money because I want to sell myself first. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, in my experience, when an employer is in love with you and thinks you're the perfect candidate, there are times they can make things happen that they wouldn't have been willing to do if you asked for it too early in the process. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so once they you know, feel that you're the right fit and you bring the right you know, package and skills and, and personality and everything to the role, suddenly sometimes they'll, they'll be more willing to negotiate. So I, I don't bring it up too early. Um, if somebody you know, kind of presses me and occasionally people will, again, they don't wanna waste your time or theirs, then I would turn it back on them and say, well, um, based on my research, and then I would do have done some research before I got to that point. So salary.com is kind of, eh. uh, Bureau of mm -hmm. Labor and Statistics has some information. Frankly, one of the best, I think, is to just go on Indeed and search for similar roles. Oh, I'd say maybe 25% of companies list a, a pay range with their postings. It's gone up in the last couple of years. Most people didn't used to do that. But then you know, like, hey, these are positions in this particular market. Know that it varies by market. But if you have that, you could say, well, I've noticed similar positions in this region pay X to Y. Um, and based on uh, salary information I received, the range seems to me it would be around this is, you know, what is the range available for this position? And then turn it on them. Hmm. I like that. Now let's get into some don'ts. You've, you've interviewed quite a, a handful of people and you've talked about, you know, finding a good match or, you know, this is the person I definitely want to hire. What are some things either off the bat or throughout the process that come up or that you hear and it's like, well, I already know this isn't going to work or something that comes across where it's like, oh yeah, this just isn't going to happen. Are there any things to avoid or learn from in this aspect? Or is it just 
a personality match. Well, I think there are certainly some don'ts, and I, I think they're just common sense, but I'll mention them because I've sure. seen them happen. <laughs> um, realize that when you, if you're interviewing in person, uh, that you are being interviewed once you, you know, enter the property or, or get on the property. I've seen people, uh, you know, spit out their gum on the sidewalk or <laughs> be rude to a receptionist or, you know, those things matter. I, I've worked at places where someone was very condescending to a receptionist who then told the hiring manager and, you know, if they didn't get a good vibe from the person that, that mattered. Um, certainly keep your cell phone off or even in your vehicle if possible uh, during the interview. Um, you know, proper grammar, I think is underrated. Uh, don't be too casual with, with your speaking. Uh, a mistake I've seen a lot of younger people make. I used to do mock interviews, as you mentioned earlier, for the Department of Psychology. I did that, I think, six years. And uh, it didn't happen too often, but usually about once a year, I would get a student who spent a lot of time talking about a parent. Uh, and certainly your parents can be your role models. If someone asks you, you know, who's your role model, model or who shaped you to who you are today or, you know, what have you, or why are you interested in a career if that's based on a parent? You know, that's certainly fine. But when your parent becomes part of your answer, you know, three <laughs> or five times, and, and it's surprising how often that happens. And, and hey, I'm a parent. If my kids thought that much of me, you know, I mean, that's heartwarming, <laughs> right. but you know, they're not hiring me, they're hiring the, the young adult who they're interviewing. Right. And so uh, just be careful about that. Again, um, be careful about minimizing things like just, you know, like I said, just a lifeguard or just a camp counselor, those types of things. Uh, other mistakes that I've seen are um, just when, uh, here I, I am using just, but, you know, <laughs> not being interesting. And I, my kids will tell you I've harped on this their whole lives. When a, a campus recruiting event happens in particular, so if you're applying to a posting, you know, that's somewhere off, off campus, this might not be as common, but if they're coming on campus and doing a corporate recruiting event, what are they going to interview? 15, maybe 30 people, and you're all going to be basically the same. You know, if you are getting a degree in psychology, you've all had to meet certain requirements, right? So the course load is pretty similar. The knowledge that those students are interviewing has have is pretty standard across them. Now, of course, there are going to be some, you know, variances. GPAs, I remember worrying way too much about GPA. Now, a good, you know, a, you need a good GPA. So I'm not saying don't care about your grades, but I am saying that if I would not necessarily look at someone who has, you know, a quarter of a, a you know, percent over someone else when I'm making a selection, like their right. GPA needs to be good, you know, <laughs> a t you know, a tenth of a point is not going <laughs> to make a difference to me. And I think students dwell too much on the GPA. Um, I have hired someone who had a, a perfect GPA who had zero common sense, honestly, and knew nothing about how a, an organization runs or just basic knowledge because he'd never worked. He'd never been involved in anything. I think all he ever did was study, which is why he had straight A's, but he wasn't particularly uh, useful in the workplace. And he 
he, he wasn't particularly interesting either. So I always say, you know, what makes you interesting? Uh, a recruiter I had at a previous employer was interviewing for an intern. And we had about 30 resumes of U of I students all in the same major. And he came into me and he goes, how do you want me to pick one intern? You know, he goes, you want me to throw them up in the air and see which one lands on top? And, you know, he was joking, of course, but his point was, they're all fantastic. You know, mm -hmm. so how do we pick? So that's why I say, look at what makes you interesting, how it relates to the opportunity that you're applying to whether it be the industry, the organization, or something that you saw in that posting. Um, again, if you have a network connection and someone could kind of put in a good word for you, that's really my advice is be interesting. And before I move on to the next question, I'm just gonna put a small plug in here for our Ask an Alum program here, students, if you're listening, make sure to network with, we've got a, a wide, variety of alumni that are always willing to help I've, you know the database is growing daily you know people like denise coming on on the show with me um, our virtual alumni panels and again the ask an alumni program um, if you just email there we can match you up with people but again um reaching out on linkedin or you know I, i've i've been in contact with many of our alumni and just even dropping a message and so many of them have been willing to to help out. So if they're in a related field or, you know, there's a connection there, definitely reach out to our alumni there. They've been wonderful. So I'm just going to put that in there. Um, but back to, you know, kind of showing some personality. Can you can you do that in your resume or when when's a good opportunity? You know, you don't want to make it. And I was I was going to touch on this before, like you don't want to put fancy fonts and, and graphics and stuff on there. but um, is it in the work experience, figuring out a way to make yourself stand out there? You know, don't don't put in inspirational quotes or anything on top. You know, what's a good way to kind of show off your personality there? Is it in the letter? Um, a, a way to stand out, I guess, is what I'm, I'm going for there. Is that just in the conversation, which is the best way to kind of to open that up? Well, yes, definitely shy away from anything too out of the ordinary on the resume. Keep in mind that most organizations are going to use an applicant tracking system and you're going to up upload the document and then it will parse that document to put things in particular fields. If you try to kind of break from the traditional resume, that doesn't work very well. Okay. And that just makes it harder for the hiring manager, <laughs> the recruiter. And that's something most people don't know. So I'm, that's a tip from you know the HR side of this. I just always say, don't make it any harder on the hiring manager than it already is, because we have to go through a lot of different candidates, some who are not even remotely qualified, some who are terribly overqualified. You know, you just want to make it easy, easy to read. You want everything to, to kind of fit in the box in the applicant tracking system. So your personality mostly comes through in the interview, okay. perhaps some in the cover letter. Um, don't include personal information, you know, about your, your age or you know, I, I even advise students to be very careful with your extracurricular activities on how you list them. Um, and, and I'm going to talk about the Greek system for a second. And I was in the Greek system, so I'm not anti-Greek, but you have to keep in mind, some people are, some mm -hmm. people may have wanted to be in a house and they didn't get in, you know? And so what sure. if that's the one that you're a leader in? Um, so like I always advise students not to just say, you know, social sorority or social fraternity or business fraternity or whatever. The professional ones generally I would list. But, um, you know, if 
just be careful. Like if you're gonna, if you were the social events chair, that's a lot of work. And I know that it is, but what's the important part of that? You know, staying within a budget, project management, organizing, you know, other volunteers to make things happen. Pull out the things that are relevant to the workplace when you're doing that. Um, you know, again, political activities. If you're really involved in that, I'm not saying it's good or bad to be on one side of the aisle or the other. Just know that the person you're interviewing with mm -hmm. may not see things the way you do. Be careful with how you list that. Um, anything like that that could possibly be a turnoff to somebody doesn't mean it should be doesn't mean they should take that into consideration but you just never know so yes you want your personality to come through and again why you're special what makes you interesting but i think really when they're scanning for you that they're looking on basics of of can you do the job do you have the experience the potential right like if you're applying here in champagne don't put your michigan fan i'm kidding i'm kidding <laughs> Um, what about thank yous? I've heard mixed reviews. I always like to either send an email or some sort of note thanking people after the interview for their time. Is that, is that seen as like a suck up move? Is that, is that okay? Is that encouraged verboten? What, how do you feel about that? I definitely like a thank you. Um, I, I'm not sure I've ever known someone to not get hired because they didn't send one. If they sure. were the best candidate, I don't think that would, you know, throw someone out. But I think it's definitely a good idea. I have a personal role when I'm in the position of interviewing that within 24 hours. So within 24 hours of my last contact leaving, you know, whether it be at the end of the day, you know, if my if my interview ended at 11 a.m. by 11 a.m. the next day, I'm saying uh, thank you. If it was an all day interview and I had to travel home and I got home at 10 p.m., okay, well then I have all the next day to send my thank you. Uh, used to it was handwritten, like way back. I didn't even mm -hmm. do those. Then <laughs> it became typed, you know, and you mailed it. Uh, I have not received a mailed thank you note in probably. 20 years. So email is certainly appropriate. I would not text, even if you have their cell number, I would not text. I think that's too casual, but email is appropriate. And I think, thank you. It doesn't need to be long. A few sentences is fine. Uh, of course, thanking them for their time. Uh, and then anything that you pulled out of the interview, like I really enjoyed learning about whatever, or, you know, your description of such and such project I think I would make an immediate impact because of my experience in this. And so you're just showing that you paid attention. Again, it doesn't have to be long, but it's it shouldn't be just a canned thank you note that you've written and you send to every employer. Right. Copy and paste. It still says good evening, but it's you send it at 9 a.m. Don't do that. Oh, I've seen people send them with the wrong company name. You know, I really enjoyed my visit too, and it was the wrong company. Don't do that. <laughs> that's I mean, that's don't. worse than not sending them. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. Unless you have any last nuggets that I did not touch upon. Any, any you know, something I didn't hit upon. Is there anything else you want to add for all the people going out there? They're going to hit the ground running this summer. Well, I don't know. I mean, I nailed it. It, it is an employee. I mean, it is an employee's market right now, but um, it's it's hard to get that first job. And so, I think my best advice would be be open minded. You know, with opportunities, if you feel good about the company and its culture, uh, the people you'd be working with, I would much rather someone join an organization that's the right fit and grow with them 
then maybe take the one that has the highest pay or you know the most glamorous you know sort of high level you know reputation but be miserable don't be miserable it's just <laughs> not worth it so you you have plenty of time to grow your early career you know f- find where it feels right and then just knock it out of the park and you'll see things happen don't be like your host i i took my first job because i had a golden tea machine <laughs> that was literally what I left. I'm gonna work there. They have golden tea in the break room, and they had uh they had uh ping pong too. So I was like, man, this has got to be it for me. It was not the best fit. I should have been paying more attention to the details. So, well, I'm gonna yeah. throw one more thing in, Ryan, because when you said that, it made me think of it. <laughs> I think so many students, and I was guilty of this too, focus on salary because most students, recent grads, don't understand the value of benefits, mm. but. Benefits have tremendous value. Yes. And um, if you don't understand them, which is not unusual, you know, for someone at that stage of life, talk to somebody who does uh, and keep in mind the total package. You know, it's called total rewards or the total compensation package. Too many times students just focus on that salary element and, uh, you know, I think overlook opportunities that really might have had a better overall package if they considered all the different aspects, including the T. So that's 100% true. That's a f- fantastic ad. And I did, it took me a long time before I even considered that. I was like, yeah, they have them. I'm 22. I'm, I'm bulletproof. Who cares? You know? All right. That's wonderful. Well, you know, we're coming up on an hour, so I'll keep you. Oh long and, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, being on campus as frequent as you are, this is usually the time where I get nostalgic with our alumni, you know, but I mean, you, you know, the restaurants as well as everybody you, you've been there as, as recently as a weekend or so ago. Um, but let's go back to your days as a student, give us a fond memory or either a class or organization or something psych related for us to, to end on. Well, I was very involved in student alumni ambassadors, and uh, that that is an organization that showed me so much more of the campus than I even realized existed. I got to attend a lot of special events, things at the president's house. Uh, yeah, host you know hosted <laughs> graduation and you know special guests and dignitaries, and so that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I missed that. Yeah, it's like you have like a backstage pass, like, you know, to, to college, you know, that's really yeah, cool. It was, it was great. And so now when I attend events on campus and I see those SAA members, I uh, always like to strike up a conversation with them. So Fantastic. All right, thanks. Welcome back. You know, you're always welcome here at 6th and Daniel Denise Berger. And maybe next year I can convince you to do this in person. Things get a little bit more open, so... Take care. It's good to see you again. You too, Ryan. Thanks for having me on.